Exodus tonight, so we can uh, open up to the book of Exodus. Remember, we did an overview of Genesis, and just saw that God is working out all things. He's the God of providence, right? It ended up in, in Genesis chapter 50, where Joseph said that God sent me ahead to provide for many people. Um, God is the God who provides. And of course, God's working out all things according to his promise of Genesis 3.15. And so now we come to the place in Scripture where the children of Israel have multiplied in, in Egypt, and they are many, and, well, we know the story, and remember, being comfortable with the story is actually dangerous. We need to remind ourselves. So I'd ask you all to stand, to turn to the book of Exodus. We're going to read Exodus 2, 23 to 25. We'll read our theme verse for Exodus, or as I see that it is, and uh, we'll see what God does. Let's pray first. Father, thank you for your word. We're reminded of what we read in the book of Romans, that what was written in the past was written for our encouragement, so that through the endurance of the scriptures, we might have hope. Lord, we have hope, because you are the God who sees. Lord, may we find comfort, even tonight, Lord God, in the fact that you are the God who sees you're the God who knows. Be our comfort, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It says this, during, the, during those many days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As we said, we left off in Genesis. Joseph's uh, dead. Um, there comes a new king in Egypt who does not know who Joseph is. And the beginning of Exodus opens up like this. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulon, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. When Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation, but the people of Israel were fruitful, increased greatly, and multiplied, and grew exceedingly strong, so the land was filled with them. So the land is being overrun, if you would, and I don't mean that in a bad way, with people from Israel. And now there arose, verse 8, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. you got to wonder, how can that be? How can you forget Joseph? He saved the entire nation. What's it tell us? We have, we have our memories don't last, right? We, we, we uh, will be quickly regulated to, uh, to the annals of history. Uh, completely forgotten about. And as these Israelites grew and prospered in number, it says this, that Pharaoh, verse 22, of Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the, he of, to the Hebrews shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Why is this significant? Because God made a promise that through Eve, a promised seed, a man would come who would crush the head of Satan. And here's Pharaoh saying, throw all the sons into the Nile. We know the story. It didn't happen. He told the midwives to do it. They weren't able to do it. Um, 
God protected them, and comes along a woman who gives birth to a man named, or boy named Moses. Chapter 2 tells us this, Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. While her young woman walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Just stop right there. Her dad said, Kill the boys of Egypt. She pulls a basket out, which her mother had prepared, and which, of course, Miriam was standing by, and she took pity on him and brought him into her father's house. That's, we don't read that, but that's exactly what happened, right? In total defiance of her father, and yet God worked through that. That's an amazing, think of it, that's amazing. Of course, this was all the plan of God. Because God made a promise that he was going to save a people. And Moses now becomes, in essence, the chosen seed. This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister, that is Miriam, said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse and the Hebrews' women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take care of Take this child and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought her to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of water. So Moses means to be drawn out of water. Well, how, how just like God? Give him back to mom, forever, how many long it would be, and she's going to nurse him, she's going to raise him, she's going to instruct him and teach him in the ways of God, and get paid for it and get taken care of, and in essence come under the protection of Pharaoh himself. She brings him back. We know that the people grew. Again, our text for tonight. We know that God heard, God remembered, God saw, and God knew. It says, During those many days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. And cried out for help. They cried for rescue from slavery. The cry for rescue, for, the cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. We know the story. God, uh, the Pharaoh begins to oppress the people. They make them slaves. They make them build cities for them, and and they were groaning under the labor. And God heard their cry. But again, notice what it says. God remembered. God heard, first of all, the groaning. God remembered. What did God remember? He remembered his covenant with Abraham. God is the God of covenant. That should give us great comfort because God is a promise keeper. What is the covenant that he made with Abraham? Listen to Genesis 15 again, beginning in verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham. Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs, and, they, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites, 
has not yet complete. When the sun had gone down into its dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, the Canaanites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Parasites, and the Recreant. God remembered his covenant with Abraham. And God saw and God knew the troubles of the children of Israel. Loved one, God sees and God knows your troubles. God remembers his covenants with Abraham for you. God remembers his covenant with Jesus for the salvation of your souls. We know the story that Moses goes down and he visits his, his, his kinsmen and he kills an Egyptian in the process and, and the children of Israel turn on him he runs away and we come to the point where God meets Moses. God meets with Moses. And he meets the burning bush and he comes to be holy. My name is holy. All of those things happen. Um, again, this is an overview. I am who I am, the self-sufficient one. Uh, you're going to go back. Moses argues back and forth with God. I mean, think about the guts it takes to argue back and forth with God when you're actually seeing God, the theophany of God. I do it all the time with God, but I'm not actually seeing God, right? Um, eventually, God, God tells him you're going to go. He goes in obedience and... God tells Moses this in Exodus 3, beginning of verse 19. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold and jewelry for clothing, you shall put them on your sons and your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. And we know that Abraham, uh, Moses goes there, talks to Pharaoh, let my people go, we're not going to go back and forth, then he takes the straw away, he makes it harder, and then the people are upset with Moses, and then we get to the point of the ten plagues. If you remember the ten plagues, the first plague was that of water to blood, turns the Nile to blood. And that was going, God is going directly against the major Egyptian deities, their gods. The water to blood is called from Happy, the Nile River God. He sends up frogs. That's Heket, the wife of the creator God, who is said to have breathed life in the people, represented by a frog. God sends gnats. That's again, he gives no warning on this, by the way. The first two, he gave a warning. He does not give any warning on the nets. Ged is the earth god, the god who controlled the earth, because it came up out of the dust of the earth, right? And uh, uh, later on, uh, uh, he, remember, remember what the magician said? This is the finger of God. And then Jesus later on tells the Pharisees, if I have done this by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come among you. The finger of God. With God's little finger, God's finger, is more powerful than anything else. Flies, 
He sends the plague of flies. That's crappy. The creation God of uh, the creation of movement of sun and, and rebirth, represented by a scarab or a beetle or or almost fly-like. Came the death of a livestock of the god Hathor. If you remember when uh, I, I, I did this sermon, I showed you a picture of the god Hathor and Pharaoh drinking the milk. Hathor is represented by a cow, and the Pharaoh was drinking the life, uh, the milk of life from Hathor. It was a very important god, one of the chief gods. And God killed the livestock, and he went against Hathor of love, beauty, fertility, and music. And then God sent boils. Again, no warning. The goddess, the goddess Isis, the goddess of medicine and peace. The goddess sent hail, and he destroyed the crops and anything that was outside. He gave a warning, bring everything inside, because if it's outside, it's going to die. And that was against Nut, the goddess of the sky. Then God, he sent locusts. That was against the god Seth, the god of storms and disorder. And then brought, God brought darkness. Again, no warning here. The Bible tells us that the darkness was thick. You could feel it. It was against the chief of the Egyptian gods, Ra, the sun god. And then there was the Passover. If you're paying attention, that's nine. It's not ten. And then God tells the children of Israel to get ready. He tells them what to do about the Passover. Look at what it says in Exodus 12. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months, it shall be the first month of the year of you. Tell all the congregation in Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make free, make you, Make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take from it, from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then you shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorpost and on the lentils of the houses in which they eat. Remember, we talked this morning about the sprinkling of the blood on the mantle and the doorpost. <clears throat> They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. Now remember, the inner parts doesn't mean all the guts. All right? They, they took the guts out. They're talking about the edible inner parts. Now some people eat all, you know, you know some people eat anything. God said, no, only the, 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 the good inner parts that you can eat. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it. So important. God is so specific. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass throughout through the land of Egypt that night. And I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as 
a feast of the Lord throughout <coughs> all generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. And on the night of Passover, God brought the tent and the final plague, the death of the firstborn. No warning to the Egyptians. Plenty of warning to the children of Israel. The chosen people were given a warning. The Egyptians were not. And who did God come against there? Pharaoh himself. Pharaoh said he was a god. He was the people, he was the one who kept the people of Egypt alive. And God showed himself to be God over Pharaoh. And then we have the Exodus. Remember what happened, exactly what God said. That, uh, 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 that they asked the Egyptians for silver and gold and purple and scarlet and yarn and all of those things. And they, they gladly handed them and said, just take it and get out of here. Just leave, please. That's going to come into play in a little bit. And God said, I know that when they tell you to leave, he's, he, he, he's going to go after you. And look what it says in Exodus 14. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, my chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Of course, what's that? That's the Red Sea. And he part of the Red Sea says, these people are just going to come in after you. But I'm going to get glory over Pharaoh himself. And of course, God shares his glory with no one. As Isaiah 42 8 says, I am the Lord. That's my glory. That's my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. We have the institution of the Passover. The firstborn are redeemed. Uh, now the firstborn can be redeemed. This is the institution of the redeeming of the firstborn. In Exodus 13, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is in the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and beast, is mine. It's also the institution of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, because they were to eat bread without leaven in it. God promised that he would go with them in a pillar of cloud uh, and fire. And look what it says in Exodus 13. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of clouds to lead them along the way by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. God brings them to the Red Sea and they cross the Red Sea. And we know the story. And they're afraid. What are we going to do? The Egyptians are coming. What are we going to do? Moses says to them in Exodus 14, 13, says, And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Remember what God said. He remembers he hears, he remembers, and he sees, he knows. And God kept his promise to Abraham to bring them out of the land after the time of suffering. And so it happened. And then we have the song of Moses. Remember the women began to sing the song of Moses. The 
Song of Moses in Exodus 15. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. Song of Moses is a song. Song of the ages, really, because it's sung in heaven. We read that in Revelation 15. Then we see how God has provided for the children of Israel. The bitter water was made sweet. Manna and quail were given to the children of Israel. Remember what Jesus, the manna, Jesus compared himself to the bread that was from heaven. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Come down from heaven. They needed water. They couldn't get water. And so Moses struck a rock and water comes out. And, and, and in 1 Corinthians 10, 4, I don't know why it's kind of probably didn't update on the screen. Um, we read in 1 Corinthians 10, 4 that Jesus, that there was a rock that followed, a spiritual rock that gave the people water, that followed the children of Israel. And, and there's a Hebrew belief that they had a rock that followed them. I mean, you're in the desert. How's you going to get water? And Jesus is compared to that spiritual rock in 1 Corinthians 10 4. Then you have the Amalekites come in. The Amalekites come in on the back end and they attack the children of Israel. They fight. That's where Moses holds up his hands. And of course, later on in the judges and in the kings, well, particularly the kings, the Amalekites will will meet their demise. And all through this, Moses is giving the people advice. Moses was sitting as a judge. You have two million plus people, and you got to decide all their cases. And, and Moses, his father-in-law came, and he saw, he said, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you sitting here all day judging all these things? It makes no sense. So what you need to do is appoint leaders and have them and have judges. And anything that's too hard for them, you do. And Moses took his advice. Can you imagine the relief that Moses has? Like, oh, man, I got a break today. Um, wise advice. It's always good to listen to good counsel. Chapter 19, we're at Sinai. We talked about Sinai this morning. The, mo the mountain was burning. It was fire and smoke and angels and a trumpet. And the people were afraid and Moses was afraid. And yet out of that, God called Moses to come up to the mountain. God set a limit around the mountain. Don't come past it. Matter of fact, set up people to, to make sure that they don't go. They break through. And it says this in Exodus 19. While Moses went up to God... The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nations. You, these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Remember what Peter tells us. We're a royal priesthood. We're a kingdom, a holy nation unto God. At Sinai, God gives the Ten Commandments. Let's read the Ten Commandments 
And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other God before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image of, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth below, beneath, and or that is on the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of your fathers to the children, to the third and fourth generation, to those who hate me, and showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember, Paul later on says that's the first command with, well, it's not, it's, he says, honor your father and mother is the first command with a promise. But I would say this is too. He says, if you misuse my name, I'm not going to hold you guiltless. We need to be careful with God's name. God shall be seen as holy. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work. You shall do no you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. That's the first command with the promise, Paul says. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. I would encourage you to go back in our archives and go over what those things are and how they were. Everyone was a servant unto itself. In chapter 20, all the way to 23, 19, you have religious and social laws. And then in 23, uh, uh, 20, you have the promise of an angel. When God says, I'm going to send my angel with you. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. What does God tell us in the book of Hebrews? That God sends angels to watch over and protect us. And oftentimes we are, the majority of the time, we are absolutely unaware of it. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Parasites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until I have increased, until you have increased and possessed the land. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates. 
For I will give to the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. God promises that he's going to be with his people. He's going to fight for his people. Our God truly goes before us. Chapter 24, we see the covenant is confirmed. In 25, he talks about giving to the Lord. In other words, in 24, God just goes over everything he already said. 25, it's about giving to the Lord. And so what it says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel, that they take from me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him. You shall receive the contribution from me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive for them. Gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple and scarlet garments, and fine twine linen, goat's hair, hand ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamb, spice for the anointing oil, and, and for fragrance incense, onyx stones, and stones for setting, for the ephod, and for the breastpiece. And let them make a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, you shall make it. Remember God said, before you leave Egypt, ask for gold and silver and stones and all of this stuff now comes into play because they were slaves. They had nothing. They plundered the land of Egypt. And God took from the Egyptians their possessions, plundered them, so that he would have material to make his tabernacle and all that is needed within the tabernacle. In 25, 10 to 22, we're not going to read it, we have the Ark of the Covenant, the place where God will meet. It says in 22, There I will meet with you from above the mercy seat, from between the true cherubim that are on the Ark of the Testament. I will speak with you about all that I have given you and commanded for the people of Israel. We go on to the instruments. We'll just make it quick. The table of bread, 25. Uh, you'll see the, 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 there. The golden lampstand, 25 again. The tabernacle itself. Remember, we went over the tabernacle. God is very specific on how he does it. He says, make sure you do it according to the pattern that I have shown you. The bronze altar. The court of which the bronze altar would be in. We're given oil for the lamps, a very specific formula. The priest's garments, number 28. And what did he say? And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother for glory and for beauty. We have in 29 the consecration of the priests, where they were set apart and they were sprinkled with the blood. We have the altar of incense. 31 to 16, that's the very altar which Nadab and Abihu went with strange fire, and it cost them their lives. The bronze basin, in which they would do their ceremonial washings. We have the understanding of the anointing oil and the incense, of which Nadab and Abihu made their own, took their own, did whatever they wanted with it, and set the formula which God says. This is what God says about his anointing oil and incense. And you shall say to the people of Israel, This shall be my holy anointing oil throughout all generations. It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person. You shall make no other like it in composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it, whoever puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. God takes it real serious. You will die. This is for God's worship only. 
Then we have in 31, the holy other Bezel, people of whom God had put in the spirit. Listen to what it says. The Lord said to Moses, he had called by name Bezel, the son of Uri, the son of Ur of the tribe of Judah. And I filled him with the spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, and with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, and cutting stones for settings, and the carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him a holy the son of Ashimashat, the, the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all able men the ability that they make that they may make all that I have commanded you. See how God provides everything he needs? God says, this, you're to worship me, this is how you're to do it, and I'm going to make sure it's done the way it's supposed to be. God provides all that we need. We have the Sabbath day in chapter 31. We're coming to the, we're coming around the corner, folks, don't worry. Uh, the Sabbath day, 31, 12 to 18, the day of rest. If anybody doesn't rest, if anybody goes and doesn't any work, they were to be put to death. We'll see later on that some guy went out and picked up sticks on the Sabbath day. And he said, what do we do? It seemed like such a small thing. The guy just picked up a couple sticks. He was cold. He wanted to make a fire. What do we do, God? Kill him. Wow, man, that's harsh. No, I'm to be treated as holy. You're not, I'm not to be trifled with, as we said this morning. The golden calf of 32, in chapter 32. Look at what it says. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in your that are in your the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron and received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a grave until one made a golden calf and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation that said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. You remember, it was the rise up to play. That was the worst part of it. It was about the worst part of it all. They made a God, and it seems understandable. They wanted to, this was a breaking of, of worshiping God, the right God, in the wrong way. God was angry. God was really angry at the people. God told Moses to go down. Remember, God, Moses saw what had happened. He threw down the tablets. He's angry. Aaron, why did you let this happen? And, and, you know, and it still amazes me how Aaron can lie, and God doesn't do anything to Aaron. That's a mystery for God to have alone. Um, Moses goes back up onto the mountain, and it says this, But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why? Look what they just did. That's why. Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent, did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent for this disaster against your people. Remember Isaac, 
Abraham, Isaac, and Israel of servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised, I will give your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he spoke and bringing upon the people, upon his people. And what happened? The next day it says, And Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sins. And Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, these people have sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive them, give their sins. One of the most selfless statements a person could make. But if not, please block me out of your book that you have written. Let me hate their blame. Paul said the same thing to God about the children of Israel. He said, I could be condemned and they could all be saved. I would do it. Obviously, we can't. We all stand before the Lord our God by ourselves. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angels shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf the one that Aaron made. Remember, 3,000 people died on that day. And many say it correlates to the day of uh, Pentecost where the Holy Spirit came and 3,000 were saved that day. 33 is the commandment to leave. Now they're going to get out there to go from Sinai. They're to go. And the Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. Save your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Go up to the land, flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go up among you. Uh-oh. Lest I consume you on the way. For you are a stiff-necked people. Remember when the people were sad? It says the people, when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. Now take off your ornaments that I may know, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount or onward. Anything that tied them to the worship of a golden calf or a false god, they got rid of it. Remember, I believe it was Pastor Lenz said, you know, they were sad because they really did want to be with God. But there was a separation. And we see in 33-7 that God meets with Moses. Moses intercedes with the people, for the people again, in verses 12 to 23, then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. 
And he said to them, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up, bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people? In other words, what God is saying is, I'm not going to go with you, because I'll consume you. Moses is going to ask him, now, how are we going to be your people if you're not with us? Moses was a brave man. He was a godly man. How shall it be known that I have found favor in sight? I, your people, is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people of the face of the earth? What separates you and I from every other person who faced the earth? Is it not the Lord Jesus Christ dwelling inside you? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, distinct from other people. And does it show in our life? And the Lord said to Moses, The very thing you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rocks. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you'll see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Moses said, God, I want to see you in your fullness. God said, Moses, can't happen. You'll die. But I tell you what, I'm going to leave, let you see my reflected glory. And it's that glory which Paul spoke about, the ministry of death, that reflected glory. The glory, the reflected glory of God was so great that Moses' face shined, and that reflected, reflected glory was so great that the children of Israel said, whoa, we don't want to look at that, we're too, we just can't handle it. And this is where we are in the book of Exodus. God is executing his plan, a plan from the fullness of time. Before the world ever began, God is working out his plan. I know that was a lot. It was a lot to go over. But what I want to encourage you is whatever is going on in your life, to whatever is happening, know as it says in Exodus 2.25, God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God knows you. He knows your deepest need. He knows your deepest pain. He knows your deepest joy. And He will never leave you. And He will never forsake you. And He has already, down the road, provided beforehand. Though we cannot see it, and though it seems a million miles away, the Lord will not delay. The Lord will watch over His people. The Lord will keep His promise. Father, thank you that you are a promise keeper. Thank you that we know that for us is a land that is truly flowing with milk and honey. We thank you that one day you will bring us to yourself. Your word tells us that through many trials and tribulations we will enter into eternal life. We thank you that through those trials and tribulations you watch over us, you hold us in your hand, we thank you for your promises. Thank you that we will see the goodness of the Lord in our day. Amen and amen.
God has blessed us with teachers that do not ever, that never neglect the Word of God. We sit there and we, you know, we even go back on things that were taught before um, because we are supposed to be stirred to reminder the things that God has taught us. So I thank you, you know, the Lord for godly teachers that we have. Um, that's not the song we're singing, uh, but I do want to say, Jesus, thank you anyway. <laughs> Let's stand up. We're going to open up our hymnals. 258, we're going to go tell it on the mountain. That's it. All right, we're going to do this a cappella because I didn't like the track. It, I thought it was a little slow at times. And I know that we can carry it with our lovely voices. So we're going to sing all three verses. 258, go tell it on the mountain. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain, that Jesus Christ is born. While shepherds kept their watching, or silent flocks by night. Behold, throughout the heavens, there shone a holy light. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain, that Jesus Christ is born. The shepherds feared and trembled when low above the earth rang out the angel chorus that hailed our Savior's birth. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain. That Jesus Christ is born Down in a lonely manger The humble Christ was born And brought us God's salvation That blessed 